Greetings in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Welcome to the Power Hour. We are here to hear the word of the Lord. I pray that the Spirit will take, it's happening again, I pray that the Spirit will take whatever you hear and tailor-make it to your experience. Amen. Before I continue, Pastor Henry, uh, is there anything we can do about the microphone? Uh, I have ADHD. I am very distractible. Mic check, mic check, one, two, mic check, mic check, one, two. We're good. Without further ado, we're going to go ahead and get into the word of the Lord. If you're here for the first time, welcome. You are literally at the tail end of a sermon series. For three months, we've been preaching on relationships. From January through to the last message today, it has been about relationships. We have focused on the individual. We focused on the couple, we focused on the family, but today, don't worry, I'm out of your houses, I'm out of your bedrooms, I'm no longer in your business, but now I'm in the church. Because if you're going to talk about relationships in the context of believers, you must address the body of Christ. And to do that, I invite you to the book of Acts, to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 9 will form the basis of today's message as we prepare ourselves to partake of the Lord's Supper. Acts chapter 9. This is um, my favorite story in the Bible because it introduces us to my favorite character in the Bible, who is Saul. And the Bible says, when you go to Acts chapter 9, I'm going to read from verse number 1. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but no one. I suggest you turn down the volume, and then the mic will stop turning off. Just lower it just a little bit. Uh, we can get to work. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street, to Straight Street, to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him. And so he can see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, 
I have heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priests to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Verse 17. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, everything like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, let no man or woman stand in the way of the word, even the preacher on the stage. In your name, amen. amen. There is a concept that is being sold or has been sold for a long time. And that concept is about being self-made. If you Google the word self-made, you will find at least 6.5 billion hits on self-made. Whether it be Netflix specials, YouTube channels, whether it be articles from Forbes magazine, The Guardian, The Post, Huffington Post, and different publications around the world. The idea of being self-made is so perpetuated that people have forgotten that they didn't come into this world alone. I want to say today to every entrepreneur, business owner, career individual, mother or father, there is no such thing as a self-made human being. Everybody is part of something. Now, while you post online that you are self-made and you promote and publish the things you've accomplished, God bless you. Because at the end of the day, it is true. You did the work. You put the effort. You took advantage of opportunities. But don't forget, on the express train that is your life, there are passengers behind you. There are teachers, classmates, lab partners, math wizards that knew more than you did. Testify, past. I'm doing my best. There are people who are good at accounting when you were not. There are people who helped you run the business. There are people who backed you up, who encouraged you, who motivated you, who corrected you and got you on the path one more time. There's no such thing as a self-made person. If you agree, let me hear you say amen. Because as believers, we get caught up in the minutiae and rhetoric of the world where we think it's about us. It is not about you. Whenever God blesses you, it's not about you. But when you go through troubles, that's for you. Blessings about other people, suffering is about you. Know the difference. When God allows you to go through stress, he's not against you, he's for you. But when God blesses you, it is not about you. It is about other people. Pastor, as you can see, the slides ain't changing. It's one of those days. I can go freestyle, man, but I need my images. Okay. The message today 
the message today, next slide, the, next, the message today is entitled, How the Best of Us Become, How the Worst of Us Become the Best of Us. How the Worst of Us Become the Best of Us. Of all the passages in scripture that could reflect what you and I ought to be to each other, when all the noise has been removed, when all the resentment, the hatred, the judgment, the suspicion, the paranoia, and all these words that describe what keeps us from helping one another have been removed, this is what a group of believers should look like. I don't care where you're from, I don't care about your background, your occupation, your age, your height, your complexion, your bank account, whatever it is you got going on, as long as you are sitting in here listening to me, you are my brother, you are my sister. I am not just a pastor, I am a man in need of people to help him along this road called life. Paul's call to the ministry. We celebrate him as a missionary. We celebrate him as a literary genius that has confounded philosophers, theologians, atheists, and everybody in between because of the thoughts that he expressed about God. But what people don't know, Paul is not a self-made man. Throughout his writings, he mentions men and women that poured into his life all the way to the last part of his journey. Today's message is about where and who this man is. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 9, it introduces us to an evil version of Paul. In fact, the first time we come in contact with him is in Acts chapter 7. When Stephen, the deacon, the first human being to die for Christ after the ascension, when Stephen is being stoned, Saul who became Paul, is carrying the clothing of the men who were stoning him. When I say clothing, I don't mean they stoned him naked. No, I mean that they took off the outer garments so that they could really swing their arms. And so Saul was assigned to hold their garments. You see, Paul had a very promising career in the Sanhedrin. Paul was a Jew. But he was a Roman by citizenship, but he was Greek by training. And so he was in the rise to become somebody in the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin is made up of 70 leaders. Paul was, was being groomed to be one of them. But in that moment, God does what he does. Because when we look at each other, we see the worst of us. But when God looks at the worst of us, he sees the best they can become. That's why he's God. We are limited by our feelings and emotions and proclivities and preferences and assumptions. But God is only limited by his love. And so God said, who can take this word further? These 12 disciples that were trained by Jesus were not it. Because in those times, God needed somebody that was colorful. A Roman citizen, a Jew by birth, but someone with Greek training, that meant that Paul was not, was not restricted by borders. God could use this man, but unfortunately, at this moment, he was an enemy of the gospel. Paul wasn't just a bully. Paul was a persecutor. I want you to process what that means. I want you to absorb the choice that God made. He chose a man who was intentionally trying to wipe out the people of the way to be called Christians later on. He was trying to make sure that Christianity would not exist. In fact, Paul, 
thought he was doing it for God. Meanwhile, Paul was uttering threats. He was, uh, 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 he, he, he was so intent on destroying Christianity that the thought of them made him sick. In fact, his intentions was to go to Damascus, put women and men in chains, walk them all the way from Damascus to Jerusalem to parade the hatred that he had for them. It was on this journey that God found him. The Bible says that Paul and his friends are on the way. All of a sudden, a bright light shines from heaven. It blinds him. He falls to the ground. Jesus begins to speak to him. Because this assignment wasn't for Gabriel, Pastor Henry. This assignment was not for a seraph or a cherubim. This assignment was for Jesus himself. Because while your family cannot change you, your friends cannot change you, your boyfriend cannot change you, your girlfriend cannot change you, your, your, your children cannot change you, Jesus can. And so he finds Paul on the road to Damascus and he calls out to him not once but twice. When God calls out twice, he gets your attention. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now as we read the story, we understand because we are Christians but Paul is asking himself, what do you mean I'm persecuting you? I'm about my father's business. And Jesus says, oh no, my brother, you are not working for me. You are working for you. You are killing me every time you kill my people. I'm here to tell the souls who, who have not become Paul. Every time you say something about the men of God, every time you criticize the women of God, every time you discourage people who are trying to serve God, you are not discouraging them, you are discouraging Jesus. You are gossiping about Jesus because when I stand up front, I'm not just a man, I am a servant of God, a sinner who communicates for him. You are children of God. So when people criticize you and make fun of you, it's not you they're making fun of, they're making in front of Jesus. Don't get offended when you are called a square in a round hole. When you are told you are boring, you are not exciting, you are exactly what God wants you to be. The most dangerous individual in the world is not an atheist. The most dangerous people in the world are not the artists who get up on the Grammys and dress like the devil. I don't care what you two be saying. They are not the most dangerous person. The most dangerous person is a religious individual who acts outside the will of God. That person is dangerous. They are giving people in church and out of church the permission to act the fool. They are discouraging people from the house of God. They are dangerous. That is what Paul was. He was the kind of man, if left unchecked, he could have destroyed the work of God. But the Bible says that Jesus found him. And when Paul hears Jesus speaking, he asks a question that I know many of you are asking. Who are you, Lord? All these months that Paul has been imprisoning Christians, he thought he was doing it for God. But he realizes in that moment, I have no idea who this God is. I don't know him. I thought I did. I don't know him. How many people are sitting in here right now? And possibly the preacher. Talking about Jesus, but don't even know him. Who are you, Lord? You're giving a big offering. Who are you, Lord? You're preaching and singing. Who are you, Lord? You are criticizing the church leadership. Who are you, Lord? We don't know him. And yet we claim to represent him. We wonder why people don't worship with us. It's because we don't know God. We wonder why our children are not converting to the faith. It's because you don't know God. You wonder why your partner refuses to come to church with you. It's because you don't represent your God. Who are you, Lord? 
And Jesus says, I am the one you have been persecuting. Now go to the city and you will be told what to do. So wait a minute. It is day number one. Same hour. Jesus says, stop persecuting me. Go where you were going. Go where you were going. Because sometimes God will never change the direction you are walking in, but he will change you. I know people who've wanted to give up their career because they became a Christian. Pastor, I feel I need to give up this career because I love Jesus. And I ask the question, what is the correlation? Unless you are an assassin or a prostitute, keep going in the direction you are going. Don't get caught up in the moment and think that God has called you to give up everything. No, God has called you to give up something for him. So God said, go to Damascus, but now your assignment has changed. Yes, you're a lawyer. Yes, you run a business. Yes, you're a doctor, but now you're a doctor for Jesus. You're a lawyer for Jesus. You're a wife and a husband for Jesus. You're a parent for Jesus. The only difference is three is company. It's you, your spouse, and Jesus. Let us go. Paul is on his way to Damascus and the Bible changes gears. It moves away from Paul and it takes us into the city. When we get into the city, what we are introduced to is a man by the name Ananias. Ananias is introduced to us as a believer. Meaning, along the way, whether it was during the ministry of Jesus or the ministry of the apostles after the day of Pentecost, these men and women became disciples. Ananias is one of them. The name Ananias means God is gracious. Isn't it interesting that God put Paul in the hands of somebody whose name means God is gracious? And the Bible says that when God speaks to Ananias in a vision, he says to him, go to the house of Judas. Don't pass that. Does anybody know who Judas is? Anybody know a Judas? Any Judas? Y yes? Okay, maybe I'm asking questions the way my son wants me to ask them. What did Judas do? He betrayed Jesus and what happened? He hung himself. So, I don't know whether this is divine comedy or com cosmic uh, humor. God sends Saul to the house of somebody called Judas. Because Saul would take the place of the hangman. Not the hangman, the man who hanged himself. So he goes to the house of a person called Judas so that he can wait for a man whose name means God is gracious. This is a career Pharisee who is now blind and helpless. So very quickly, I want us to break bread and drink wine without the getting high. Four things. Four things that move somebody from being the worst of us to the best of us. This is the formula. You learn this formula, there's hope for you. As a spouse, a parent, or as a single person, or a grandparent, whatever. This is the formula. God takes you from vision to admission. Let's start with the vision. The vision always begins with God. Whenever somebody walks into this place, it takes the Ananias and the Barabbas, the Barnabas, the people who are gracious and kind, to be used by God because God can't use everybody. God didn't send John. God didn't send Peter. Peter had a problem with foreigners. Peter was not prepared to accept people who are not of God. God never chose Peter. 
God never chose Thomas and God never chose Matthew. He chose Ananias. Just think about it. Most of the time, God will use outsiders to do the thing that insiders are supposed to do. It baffles me 20 years being a Christian. How is it that people who have not been in the house of God long enough are more gracious than the people who spend all their life in church? Pastor, I'm a sixth generation Adventist. What does that even mean? Are you an iPhone? What does that mean? Are you an upgrade? Are you a better version? Vision. Let's go. Help me out, man. I, I talk faster than I think, so those images are going to be coming at me. There's a statement I want to see right now. With vision, God speaks to Saul in prayer. God speaks to Ananias, but Ananias has a problem. Ananias knows who Saul is. And so Ananias says to the Lord, But Lord, this man has been persecuting the church. This man has been imprisoning people. In fact, we know that he's on his way to Damascus to eradicate the believers. And God says, never mind that. He is my chosen instrument. Now, I want to make a point that everybody needs to catch here. Even though Ananias is concerned, he is a converted man. Even though he's concerned, he is worried, but he's a converted man. Which means, whatever God says... Those who are converted, those who truly love the Lord, will always be open to hear, thus saith the Lord. But Lord, I don't like this person. This person is not good. But God says, oh no, he's not good now, but because of you, he's going to get better. Whenever the converted have a concern, good things happen. But when the unconverted have a concern, the church splits in two. Because the unconverted don't care about the work of God. They care about their preference. They care about what their family wants. What their family has contributed and the things that they need. And so it is that this man is not like most Christians. He is a converted man. And he says, Lord, I trust you. I will do what you've called me to do. And so he makes his way on straight street. And he goes over to that place. Thank you. This is uh, very helpful for what I'm doing right now. Uh, good information. Just, just forget the slide. Just turn off the computer. I'm good. Ananias goes over to the house of Judas, and he meets Paul. And the first thing he says when he meets Paul, he says to him, Brother Saul, on the same day, he has changed from persecutor to brother. And yet, we have people we don't like for 20 years. People we worship with that we refuse to call brother, we refuse to call sister. We hold on to it for so long because they did something a long time ago. A long, long time ago. Before internet and social media, a long time ago. I mean those flip phone days, time ago. But we hold on to it because we don't care about the work of God. We don't care about the vision. We care about how we feel. And so it is. That Ananias is open. He calls Saul brother, number one. Number two, he lays his hands on him. And because of Ananias, God is gracious. Saul's eyes are opened. Because the Bible is clear that Saul was blind before he was blind. He was blind to the will of God. He was blind to the intentions of God. He thought he was a man of God, but he was an enemy. But now that his eyes are opened with the help of Ananias and Judas and others, now Saul is on the road to be a man of God. It takes vision, brothers and sisters, to bless somebody.
Do you know what vision means? Vision means I don't feel like helping this person. Nobody likes this person. I don't want to be associated with this person, but I am a child of God. I'm going to reach out to them. Somebody spoke to me last week. They were a little bit uncomfortable with the things I said in the sermon, which is really good. I, I, I love it when people come to me. I love debate and I love people. It's all good, right? It's all good. But here's what I said to them. I said, you must understand something about the preaching experience. When I'm up there, that's not a place for me to be your friend. I want you guys to understand that. There's a difference between the person on the stage and the person who shakes your hand. By the door, I'm Sam. Basketball loving, Chitato loving, Sam. I'm just a guy. But when I'm preaching, I'm doing my best as a sinner to speak to other sinners. Listen to me. I've got my own sins to deal with. The last thing I need is yours. So when I'm up there and I say something that offends you, that might be good for you. But understand, like Ananias, I believe in the grace of God. I am the least judgmental person in the room because I am open to everybody. But when I'm preaching, it's not about me, it's about you. So please don't hesitate to come to me and ask for clarity. But please never confuse the word of God with my opinion. Amen? Amen. Ananias stood for the word of God, but he was willing to love Saul. Are you? Are you willing to love the people that everybody talks about? Young people, are you willing to love that sister that all the girls say bad things about? Gentlemen, are you willing to love the guy who keeps getting the girls and you don't? Are you willing to stand up for what is right when everybody's not? But Ananias said, Lord, you said I must love him. I got to love him because concern comes from those that love the Lord. Let's keep going. Maybe you guys might catch up. The second thing is provision. Everybody say provision. Provision. Notice how the word provide has been restricted to what we do for one another. Parents provide for their children. Businesses provide resources for employees. We've reduced the word provide to things. But when you take the word provide apart, it, there's the word pro and vision. Pro, vision. What does the word pro mean? In front, for, first, the best at. Pro. So when you have pro vision, it means you not only see for yourself, but you see for others. That's why a parent goes to work. Because their vision has told them, if I don't work, my children won't eat. So a parent has pro-vision. But to get to pro-vision, you need to experience revision. Paul needed revision. Because what he saw was the work of God, but God said, no, no, that's the work of the devil. Without revision, there's no provision. But instead of revision, some of us are suffering from borrowed vision. We only see what the preacher says, and that's enough. If Pastor Sam said it, that must be the gospel. There's not enough time for me to prepare a sermon to be 100% accurate. Go read the Bible for yourself. Borrowed vision is what happens when you look at your family and say, I'm an Adventist. Why? Because my great-great-great-great-grandfather built a church in, in Sumatra. No, you are not. You are just a child of. I want to correct something. This is a, we pride ourselves as a ministry that is non-denominational, that preaches the gospel. But this room is full of Adventists, so let me talk to you for a second. Why? Because I can. Do you know what makes an Adventist Christian? 
Not coming to church on Saturday, I can tell you that much. Do you know that Sunday people go to church on Saturday more than you do? Youth groups meet in the morning and the afternoon and in the evening. How many of you are willing to do church on a Saturday night? No Netflix and chill, church. Being an Adventist Christian means I believe that Jesus is coming soon. And so with the spirit of urgency, I want to tell other people, if it means I must be in church on Sabbath, I'll do it, but I'll do everything I can to win a soul. That's an Adventist. Not church membership, not family name. I don't care how many churches your family has built. If you're acting the fool, you are not an Adventist. Commercial break over. Provision. Provision. Uh, what we need is, is, is provision. What does provision mean? Provision means I will never make a decision until God tells me to move. I will never do anything until the word of God agrees with it. I don't need the pastor to tell me if this is good or not. I know what the Bible says. Because when you go to the pastor to confirm what you already know, you are living on borrowed vision. The Bible says that Ananias speaks to Paul and Saul, Paul becomes Saul and immediately, immediately, Paul begins to preach. Which leads us to number three. There's vision, provision, and then there's mission. But I want you to notice something. If you can put up one slide, I'll appreciate it. And that is the, the four circles. That's all I need. If you notice, mission comes before admission. Admission means being accepted into the fold. Here's what has happened in our generation in the past 100 years. In fact, not 100 years, 10 years, really. We've become a social club where people want to be accepted for who they are. People want to be accepted for how they're dressed because we all love Jesus. And this is Starbucks. You can get Jesus anywhere you want him to. Right? Admission. Admission is good. We love you the way you are. But before admission comes mission. Before Paul joined the disciples, he received his marching orders. God told him, you're going to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. You're going to take the gospel to places you've never been to before. You're going to suffer because of the gospel. Now go introduce yourself to the church. What we've done, we've switched it around. We've turned ourselves into a place of admission. How can we dance like monkeys on the stage so that you can stay with us? How can we do stuff to make you happy? But instead of that, we should give you a mission. How many people in here believe in Jesus Christ? Raise your hand. Raise your hand if you believe in Jesus. Don't if you don't. Because you've raised your hand, it means by extension, you've accepted the mission. As always, I experience preacher's block when working through the sermon. And so my goal is always to go to a church member and ask them what they think about the sermon. And the only church member I live with that I know is my wife. If I could find somebody else, I would, but she's the best I can do. So I speak to her about the sermon. And so I asked her how, how to illustrate the journey from mission to admission and being a, a little girl at heart and loving black pink. This is what she said to me. Whenever a girl wants to join a sorority, God knows why she went in that direction, you go through a bunch of missions, right? They make you dress up like a bear. They make you do silly assignments. They make you dress up. You know, I don't know. I'm not a girl. I don't know what you guys do to join each other's clubs. But until they complete those missions, they can be a part of the sorority. They don't, they don't get admission. Now, being a very boring person, I came up with a different illustration. Mine is simple. To go to university... You need to have gone through a mission called? Wow. How did you guys go to university? 
Did you go from elementary straight to college? Right? You got to do all these exams and classes and assignments. Those are missions so that you can be admitted. I want somebody to understand right here, right now, that I don't care this... Uh, flip-flop, namby-pamby, sometimes up, sometimes down, wishy-washy version of Christianity that has been sold by other churches and ministries. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches if you believe in Jesus Christ, you believe in the mission. What is the mission? To go to church? To give an offering? To join social groups and to join youth ministry? To make YouTube videos and podcasts? The mission is the preaching of the gospel to the lost world. That's the mission. Now, how you do it, be creative. God has blessed young people with the ability to be creative, and the church should not stand in their way to win these souls. That's the mission. So when you walk inside, don't be saying, oh, JCC people are not friendly. Nobody smiles at you. Everybody's wearing expensive shoes, and everybody's just on their phones. Forget about that. I'm here for the mission. If I preached because I thought people liked me, I would lose my job because not everybody likes me. I'm not likable. I try. I do. I want to be liked. The gospel is what God has given us to share with the world. And so the mission leads to admission. And so Saul begins to preach. Here's where the story turns and we'll end the message. He picks himself up from Damascus. The Bible says he goes over to Jerusalem. He goes to the disciples and the disciples are like, Urgh! No, thank you. We know what you are. Go away. They turned him away. This is Peter who preached on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 people gave their life to Jesus. The next day, 5,000. Same Peter rejected Saul. It doesn't matter how Holy Ghost filled you are. If you are the kind of person that looks at other people as less than you, you will never, ever be able to be used by God. Once again, Paul is denied admission, but because he had a mission, he didn't walk away sad, Pastor. He didn't make a YouTube video, why I stopped being an Adventist. He didn't make a video about how Christian, Christians are judgmental and Christians are not friendly. Oh no, Paul had a friend called Barnabas. Do you know what Barnabas' name means? It means encouragement. Barnabas took Saul and went right back to the disciples. By the way, Barnabas was rich, so sometimes it's good when rich people love Jesus. Amen? Barnabas went back to the disciples and said, you have to accept him. He's a man of God. And the church said, well, Barnabas is on board. We're on board. My brothers and sisters, I hope that the message is not lost on you. That the most important relationship you can ever have is with Jesus. But second to that is the relationship you have with people. Nobody, nobody can say they can make it without Christ. My aunt used to say, the banana that leaves the bunch gets peeled. Have you ever tried to peel a banana while it's on the, on the, on the branch? It's near impossible if you're two years old. But the moment you step away, the devil will peel everything about you and you will be lost. So here's what I'm saying today. I'm saying God needs... Not Peter and John, the powerful preachers. God needs Ananias. Because not everybody can be Paul, but everybody can choose to be Ananias. Amen? Everybody can choose to be gracious. Eyes opened, principled, but gracious. Everybody can be Barnabas. 
You can be a source of encouragement. You can be the one that pulls people back in. Because listen to me, for vision to become provision, for mission to become admission, we need to be encouragers and we need to be gracious. Amen? We need it. Because without it, all we are doing is repeating the past. Repeating the past. Where we listen to the sermon, we go home and that's it. We are either motivated or not. We are encouraged or not. But things remain the same. The church has been called not just to be closed up, but to open up. And in opening up, what that means is we will take you as you are, but we hope that Jesus will make you what he wants you to be. I don't believe that people should remain the same. Like Ananias, I believe that people can change. Do you know why we think people can't change? Because we think we can change. Because I'm struggling to change, why should I think my wife wants to change? Why should I think my neighbor wants to change? So I'm not going to give you a chance because I never gave myself a chance. But Ananias, God is gracious, said, come on, Paul, let's go do what God has called us to do. Right now, I want to pray with you. I'm going to invite you to close your eyes with me. But I want to speak to somebody in the room right now. There's somebody who has not accepted Jesus just yet. You're about to partake in the Lord's Supper, but you have not accepted Jesus the way you need to. And I'm here to tell you that the best decision you'll ever make in your life is this one. That says, Lord, I want to follow you all the days of my life. I'm not one to make appeals all the time because of the nature of what we do, but I want to do that right now. If there's a desire in your heart to accept Jesus the way that Saul did, maybe God has been taking you through a Damascus experience. Maybe the conviction has been hitting deep, but because of family and friends and and just life, you've been putting it off. You've been making major life decisions without Christ while claiming to be a child of God. I'm here to offer you vision. I'm here to extend my hand and say, child of God, Jesus is waiting. Jesus is waiting to accept you as you are so that he can change you from Jacob to Israel, from Saul to Paul, from Peter, from Simon to Peter to become the person he wants you to be. And so if there's anybody in the room right now that says, I want to surrender my life to Jesus, here's what I want you to do. At the end of the communion service, I want you to speak to Pastor Henry or myself. Let's talk about it. That's why we are here. We are here to offer you Christ. We are here to give you admission. We are here to give you the mission and to provide for you a place of worship and a place to experience vision. If that is you, let's talk about it. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Dear Lord, I want to pray at this moment for somebody that needs to know you like Saul did. There's somebody who thinks that they are the worst of us. There's somebody who actually thinks that they've done worse than anybody else on earth and they don't deserve God's grace. In fact, somebody has told them they don't deserve God's grace. Somebody's called them out for the life they're leading. Somebody's called them out for their choices. But they have not called them in for Christ. I want to make that offer right now, Lord. I want them to know that in the midst of all the social noise, in the midst of all the political noise, in in the midst of all the family drama noise, that Jesus is still in the business of making that offer of salvation. There's anybody here, Father, who is being convicted by the Holy Spirit to surrender their life, but they keep fighting back. I pray that you will shine light on them. 
May you blind them to the person they used to be so that they can begin to see the person they can become. I pray that you will put an Ananias, that you will put a Barnabas in their path so that they may, be, may, may experience the grace of God, that they may experience encouragement from a godly woman, a godly man. People who are willing to say, I don't see what you are, I see what you can become. Father, may these people rise up and be seen and be heard. We are tired of those who are not gracious having a voice. We are tired of those who discourage others having a voice. We are tired of the hypocrites. We are tired of the Pharisees. We are tired of the pro-religious, non-relationship people taking over the house of God. We want those that love Jesus and love his word and love people enough to say, you're welcome. I will take the time to provide for you, to show you the mission, to encourage you that you belong in this place. We are all sinners. We are all sinners chasing after a Savior. And so, Father, as I always say, save us because we cannot save ourselves. The urgency in my voice is not from a place of authority, but it's a desperate need to see people saved. Save us, Lord. Save her, save him, save them, save that family that's on the brink of collapse. Save that couple that needs you. Save the church, the church that has been called to preach the gospel. Save it, Lord. Save the men and women that stand for the truth. Save those children who are wandering from the faith inch by inch. Save those parents that have not been a good example to their children. Save them. They are in the house, but not of the house. They bear the name, but not the character. They have the mission, but not the life. Save them, Lord. We are all soul and we need to be poor today. Before we partake of this bread, save us because we need you. And now, Father, when our eyes are opened, give us the grace to extend a hand to somebody because you extended a hand to us. Thank you. If this is your prayer as me, let me hear you say amen. And amen. God bless you.